A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and your host here on these podcasts. I'm joined this week uh, by Amanda, who's been uh, on the podcast before, and by Martin, who's joining our podcast team. Martin, just tell us uh, who you are, what do you do? What does lockdown look like for you these last couple of months? Thanks, Ros. Yeah, I'm Martin and I'm the Rector of a church uh, in Thiel, uh, West Berkshire, about five miles west of Reading, called Holy Trinity Church. And I'm here, well, I've been here since September last year with my family, my wife, Lisa, and my daughter, Elizabeth, and my son, Alexander. And, uh, well, this is the first day, actually, since the lockdown happened that Lisa is upstairs working and I'm downstairs working without our children in the house because my daughter's back at school and my son has started nursery again. So uh, we have, I'm, I'm hoping for, a, a, well, fewer evenings of work. Um, of the intensity that it's been over the last few weeks yeah. because of homeschooling. <laughs> Great, so slightly more normal and maybe slightly yeah. quieter household uh, during the day. Lovely. Well, it's during the day. good yeah. to have you <laughs> with us. So today we're going to be talking um, uh, a little bit later about cancel culture and our addiction to outrage on social media. Uh, but we're going to begin by talking about um, some announcements that have been made by various uh, diocese in the Church of England in the last uh, week or so, particularly Chelmsford Diocese made a, a quite a stark announcement about their plans for future clergy. So I think they had already announced uh, plans for reducing the number of clergy by the end of 2025, uh, but those have been brought forward to within uh, the next 18 months or so. By the end of 2021, they plan to have reduced their number of stipendiary paid clergy by over 20%. That's quite a significant amount. And as I say, I know other dioceses are also uh, making plans, having to alter plans, uh, consulting and, and thinking about how things are, are moving forward. Um, I guess some of that is very obvious why, that everything is having uh, has had an impact from coronavirus and lockdown not least church giving and funding and also dioceses tend to have uh, a lot of their resources sort of tied up in stocks and shares which will um, have seen a, a hit in the last few months but this is not just about what's happened in the last few months is it Amanda? No no it's uh, it's been going on for a long time hasn't it that uh, dioceses have faced faced financial problems as the number of people coming to church decreases um, uh, so the people aren't giving so there's not a, a large number of people giving small amounts um, so yeah it's it, yeah. It, I mean, Sheffield's been doing this uh, for quite a while they've been going through a process and I know our, our, our deanery went through this process I think when we first arrived about 10 years ago there was a sort of clergy reduction program um, yeah. yeah, and some of that is to do with finance, but also some of that is to do yeah. with people, yeah. isn't it? Um, so I know when I was working for the diocese, there was this sort of constant: how can we be equipping and enabling more lay people, which is terrific. But actually, what they wanted with this them to be equipped and able to do with things that we would normally think of as clergy roles so taking funerals for example or other occasional offices or you know how could lay people be doing that what 
where why is there such a problem with clergy staffing and, and numbers are we just not getting people wanting to train for ministry <laughs> blank silence well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i think there are people wanting to train for ministry but there's also of course um uh, you know as as evangelicals as a as a tribe if i can put it that way we we want to we, we do put a lot of stock in uh, putting people forward who are who we have considered you know are going to preach clearly and love faithfully um and so uh, we don't sort of just send off people to theological college unthinkingly so there is if you like we, we are what you know it's a question is there a sort of a backlog of moving people towards the dda stage as we as uh yeah lead church leaders consider who we should be sending maybe maybe that's i think issue. it could be and i i think there's an issue there particularly for evangelicals that i i wonder if sometimes we forget that at the point where you send someone to go and talk to a ddo they could be you know what a year or two away from going to a bap three years at college three years or four years in accuracy you know seven or eight years potentially before that person's becoming an incumbent they don't have to be ready to become an incumbent at the beginning of that process and no, and no. we i think sometimes we are a bit guilty of, of looking for the finished product and that's a particular challenge if you're looking at someone who's young which is the is that is the ideal age actually to go into well not you don't have to be super young but it is better to be in terms of longevity of ministry and 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 your mm. what you develop along <clears throat> along those times is and and younger people are you know less ready and fully formed so and and i know there was a sort of uh, the church of england had a real phase of basically telling people to go out and get jobs and then come back to ministry and then they suddenly realized that people weren't coming back later so mm. there was a sort of there was a season right. of you know 50 years ago probably you know 18 20 year olds were coming forward and they were sending them for ordination and then they went through a phase of saying oh you're too you're too naive go and get a job and then they didn't come back and then lo and behold we've got a massive mm. gap or if they do come back you train someone when they're i don't know in their mid 40s or in their mid 50s you you get a lot fewer years yeah. back in terms of your investment and right. i think that's that's something we do see is a lot of people going through for um selection for ordination in their middle age and they may be great but but what we what we really love is to have another 20 or 30 years of them and to do that, they need to go younger. Um, so there are some issues. There are long-term issues about money, long-term issues about recruitment, but also some immediate pressures uh, of the current financial situation. What would we like to see dieties setting as their priorities for that? And, you know, the, it's easy to say that, that clergy are the easy target. And to some extent, that may be true, although it's not that straightforward to make clergy redundant. But if you were sort of CEO of a diocese, what would be the kind of priorities you'd want to set given limited budgets and potentially limited staffing? What would we love them to be considering? Well, of course, uh, it is the gospel that grows the church, isn't it? So, um, you know, we can have um, an awful lot of action plans to do with um, strategic strategic growth and uh, ways of handling the building and so on but you know, the vast 
the majority of money that goes into a diocese comes from giving. And you know, we're, we're currently working here um, at Holy Trinity on that mindset, mindset shift of the, uh, the, the loose change in your pocket, um, sort of uh, uh, you know, spasmodic giving to the planned prayerful I'm responding to the gospel because I've been saved when I didn't deserve it. So I'm going to do the same with uh, what I have been given from God. So part of it is discipleship, isn't it? And it's and and so the, uh, we need a lead, we need leadership from the top of what discipleship looks like, not just in terms of you know we hear an awful lot, don't we, of incarnational ministries and things like that. But what we need from the from the the leadership is to is, is a is a reinvigoration of uh, of of how how it looks to respond to the gospel with every area of my life. Christ moves in, and He's in charge of every room of my house. What does that now look like practically? Yeah, um, but there's one for starters. Yeah, absolutely, and and you see that, don't you, in churches where there is real gospel ministry and the the congregation is growing, not just in numbers but in maturity, that has a, a discernible impact on uh, the the financial um, viability of of that church and. It is one of the things that that is quite distinctive about the Church of England, certainly in this country, is that churches don't necessarily have to be financially viable on their own terms. There is this sort of central way in which uh, churches contribute towards dioceses and then dioceses pay stipends that isn't necessarily one-on-one thing and maybe shields some congregations from that that reality. Amanda, what would be... uh, your recommendation of of ways forward for the i I think that is the key is that um is that discipleship which leads to to people giving but um i think there's a sort of um there's a big issue the thing that sort of as congregations we give we pay the stipend and then we're paying for our building and every you know so many church buildings are you know historic antiquities in their area and much beloved of the local population but not to the extent that they're going to give for it and it's sort of working out how we uh, our relationship with our building and you know whether how whether we can close some of them at at minimal cost in order to because actually it's so much more encouraging if you've got three churches of 20 people in a rural benefice if 60 people got together in a church for a church service that it brings its own dynamic of of growth and discipleship as you disciple one another doesn't it to bring the people together it does it's it's very hard because often there will be a period of that looking like it doesn't work because not all of those 60 people will go there will be people who feel very strongly attached to their parish and their church who just won't go somewhere else and that sort of pruning is painful but I just you know if you were starting to to do the Church of England now and draw parish boundaries now you would not draw them no, no I mean, it's it that they're look... all the buildings are in the wrong places no, not at all. they're really exactly. badly designed and so, yeah. 
at some point there needs to be that really painful work of shaking all of that up and saying this is just unsustainable yeah. and it's it's not serving people who live in urban parishes it's not serving people well who live in rural communities either where very few of them are suddenly having to try and pay for upkeep of very expensive yeah. ancient buildings that they don't really yeah. you know need and yeah it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in what, on one level, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, if we as a church, and uh, I think a number of churches will identify with this, you know, knew that the parish share was only going, I mean, this is a whole other issue, but, you know, if we knew that the parish share was only going to churches that were faithfully preaching the gospel, um, I think it would make a, a big difference. Because we, we consider, don't we, how God is the God of the nations and how we are, you know, we're not just, you know, the, the, the Christianity, we're brothers and sisters with people all around the world. And so we give sacrificially, not just for the gospel here, but for outside of the UK as well and all the rest of it. Well, that sort of mentality, it, you know, in one sense should be localised. You know, we should be able to say, well, I'm giving, but it's not all going here. It's going, you know, to other churches in the north, down the south, uh, but that's okay because the gospel is being served there. But there's that there's that um, frustration and feeling of I, you know, I'm we're, we're giving money that is not being used for the gospel, yeah. and that makes a, a huge difference to how PCCs, uh, particularly those PCCs who are confident in um, what gospel money should be used for, makes them very nervous yeah. about about the power. I share. think that's right, and I think you know we need to. That, that sort of how we have gospel priorities will work out in different sorts of ways and it's not that buildings for example have no value in gospel ministry we, we've all noticed in the last three months that our ministry has been changed and you know in some ways it's been great but there have been things we've been lost but by not being able to be in our buildings and so on and it's right that that dioceses are able to do a certain amount of the support work they do um you know and somebody needs to pay for that and so you know there's different kind of things but it would be great to see um diocese i think recognizing that there are other places as well as that you know there may need to be some clergy cuts but i'd love them to be just thinking bigger and bolder and braver about things like some of the buildings do they need all their diocesan officers could there be a culling of senior staff um, you know, yeah. for example, yeah. does it all need to be parish clergy where where all the cuts are being made? And I think, yeah, a, a sort of sense of what are we actually working towards that we hope will be a pruned mm. and more focused gospel presence for the Church of England in our diocese going forward, even though some of that will be difficult to get it's there. A it's a massive challenge, isn't it? If you were going to design a church for England, Church of England, you would not start where we are now. Now, no. how how do you how do you make the church fit for the purpose? Is is the Church of England ever going to able be able to make itself fit for purpose this century? I, I, it's hard. It's really hard to know whether it's possible. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It it's is, like, and, and I think that's right. And I think that's where, <laughs> yeah. But that's and that's then where um, things like securing succession and localized gospel partnerships come into play. I think um, so. As I was uh, 
music on, musing on this over the last couple of days. Um, you, know, uh, you know, this isn't one of those issues where it's us versus them sort of an issue. Everyone in the Church of England are in the same boat. All churches are struggling financially. Uh, uh, you know, all, all churches could be affected by the financial uh, difficulties. Um, and whilst we have large gospel partnerships, large organised gospel partnerships, north, south, east, west, uh, one of the things that we've, uh, I've really been grateful for since moving to Berkshire has been uh, those clergy who are busy in their own right and they've got lots to do and they've said you're new you need support and help and how can we help you how can I uh, build your ministry up how can I ensure that you know when you go on holiday you're confident you've got a preacher and all that sort of stuff but on on top of that um, one day I'll leave and not announcing my (laughs) retirement but one day I'll leave and when that happens uh, two things need to happen. One, I, I need to have secured my PCC. And two, I need to have secured my succession. Um, knowing that I'm not going to be involved in the process, I need to know that the PCC are confident in what gospel leadership should look like and what they should be asking for. And securing my succession, they should, they and the church should be itching for not what itching is want to hear, but for faithful gospel proclamation. Yeah. So, so, so we, um, I've got something here, crumbs, my studies <laughs> are right mess. Um, I, um, I uh, what do we use? We use as a PCC, um, oh there it is, gospel-centred church as part of our, um, our, our away days. And it's just really helpful to keep the main thing the main thing, because yeah. our PCC is a great diversity of people with all sorts of backgrounds, but how 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 do they how do we sort of zone in on what the main thing yeah. is and that's one, one yeah way. and thinking um, about doing that i think you're exactly right about succession uh but also thinking about that in terms of finances and what that will look like as things do get more stretched and and more pushed uh having uh pccs and also people uh if you've got people in your congregations who would be uh equipped to sit for example on a diocesan board of finance or uh committees at those sorts of levels then do encourage them because we need people with with really clear gospel priorities to be making those kinds of decisions uh, not just at mm. parish level but a, at a wider level as well well no doubt there will be more of this coming and more to talk about uh, as things progress uh, in the next year or two Good. So uh, I'm slightly dreading talking about this next time, but it's been such a thing that um, it felt really important to say. So many of you, I guess, will have uh, seen, uh, heard about or perhaps read J.K. Rowling's um, piece that she wrote a week or so ago, uh, defending her position on transgender. And we're not going to talk about transgender particularly, but what I did want us to, to talk about was the kind of thing which both prompted her to write that and the response there has been, the sort of um, 
I mean, I think the, the term for it is cancel culture. She is cancelled. You know, you wouldn't invite her to speak. You don't listen to her. You don't read her books because of her views on, on transgender. And it seems to be this, this kind of addiction that we have to outrage. Um, nothing can just be disagreed with or nobody can be just disagreed with. They have to be cancelled and there has to be outrage and you have to show how much you disagree uh, with somebody. Where where has all that come from? Have we always been that outraged uh, at people we disagree with? <laughs> Amanda, have you, have you always been I, outraged? I'm actually quite an outraged person. I've sort of got um, I've got quite a lot of fire in my belly about particularly about justice <laughs> yeah. and truth, and yeah. I can get really angry and animated. I mean, you know, I'm a real gut person. Um, <laughs> But my, when I, you know, when I was a student, I could sort of, I would have to read a long, a, a newspaper or I would have to read a book and I would have to have a conversation with someone and then I would become outraged, I, you know, about poverty was something I was very passionate about and um, uh, the developing world when I was a student. And um, now you can be outraged by a tweet, you know, so the sort of, the, the attention span of the things that cause outrage and then there isn't that depth of thinking in engaging with an issue um, about so I've had very my, my daughter's 18 and she's you know she's quite like me like like me with knobs on in fact and she gets outraged about <laughs> injustice and things that are wrong and she she gets her news and her information about these things on Instagram and she she's not she's not very good at engaging deeply but so trying mm. to yeah so that's one of the I think that's one of the issues that we digest things in much smaller bites yeah so there's there's two issues there aren't there there's what what news we're actually getting may not be all that accurate or nuanced and maybe out of context because social media requires it to be so short and so dramatic but then also the way we we respond to it is influenced by social media Martin is this something that you've noticed uh happening in that sort of way Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a whole issue, isn't there, of um, of the lack of backstory yes. that you you uh, people are not willing to even engage in. They're not that you know. It's not even on on their minds when they read um, a tweet. You know, there there's only so many characters and there's no nuance and uh, and no and uh, you know with the J.K. Rowling piece, what was really fascinating was uh, you know if you've read it, you'll have seen that she had inadvertently liked something when she meant to take a screenshot. Well, there, there was no uh, question, no, why did you do that? No, what has led you to do that um, from your past? And there's no, so there's no care for the backstory. It's just anger, hate, pylon. Mm. And then pylon is another really big thing as well, isn't it? So, you know, Amanda, if we imagine back in the day, it's quite a long way back and some of us may not really remember this far back when you were a student. But, uh, you know, if you wanted to express your outrage, you had to go on a march or you had to, you know, write a placard or... Yeah, yeah. You'd have to organise people. You'd have to go door to door getting a petition signed, not just like send it out on your social media and tell everyone to sign it. Exactly. And if it was just something that had come up in a conversation, you might express your outrage to the friend. But what you didn't then have was 10,000 other people who'd heard you say that and say, yes, I agree. Yes, you're awful as well. And I don't know how you deal with that problem on social media, but I'm really conscious of it as a, a thing that actually may be a perfectly valid response 
when one or two people say it really does become very oppressive when thousands and thousands and yeah. thousands of people are all repeating there, the same there thing. is an excellent clip um, which um we'll link to on the program notes uh, of president obama being asked about cancel culture just a couple of minutes of him talking about that i talk about how the world is messy and people are complicated good people do bad things bad people love their children you know these sort of um people are not uh black or white yeah um and but also i thought the really important thing that he said is that you don't change things by judgment you don't if you want to change the world you don't do it by tweeting you do it by actually doing something by legislation by by doing boring stuff sitting in committee meetings doing the hard back work because actually twitter doesn't really change things no absolutely and I, I think we do see that which is why the same things cycle round again and again I mean you know the the uh, George Floyd murder obviously provoked a whole outrage of uh, social media over the last few weeks but it's not the first time that has happened it's not the first time the internet has been outraged at, at racism or even that particular kind of racism uh, in, in sort of American policing and yet it's still happening. It, it, it hasn't changed the world. And it, it's, I think, not going to change the world, is it? One of the things I've been uh, reading about and thinking about around this, which I am really not an expert on, and um, I, I want to be really clear to our, our regular listeners, we, we are not generally experts on most of the things we're talking about. We are chewing the fat and kind of having thoughts, and we hope there's some, some useful things in there, but please don't think we are setting ourselves up as experts, but the influence of what I believe used to be called cultural Marxism, but now is more generally known as critical theory, which is a way of sort of viewing the world from a number of different angles as split between people who are oppressed and people who are the oppressors. So you see it in racism, um, so black people are cast as the oppressed and white people as the oppressors. Women would be the oppressed and men would be the oppressors. Um, you know, on gender issues, straight people are the oppressors and anyone who is not straight in whatever way is somehow the oppressed. And, and everything is viewed in this sort of... Uh, way of them and us oppressor and oppressed but the thing as far as i can see that critical theory doesn't seem to do is offer any way out of that it's a way of observing injustice and sometimes very real injustice and being outraged by it but not then really moving on from it and and i just don't see how that helps us at all um really with these kind of things you know sometimes which are quite rightly things that we should be outraged and horrified by but we don't really get past that how can we do better how can we as christians engage or should we bother to engage when there is this kind of outcry martin what 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 would you suggest uh should should we engage yes we should we should engage um you know we are we are called matthew uh, mark mark's mark, mark sorry matthew matthew chapter five isn't it um the, the beatitudes uh sermon on the mount uh, we are called to be salt and light you know we are we are called to to bring that which gives gives a life into that which can decay mm-hmm. so uh we are we are not called to sort of take a step back and look at the decay and say isn't that a shame we are called to 
um, speak words of life, and they're the words of mm-hmm. Christ. Um, the, the book of Proverbs um, is, uh, uh, well, what did, how did, um, I'm working on Proverbs at the moment, it's just on my mind, Graham Goldsworthy yeah, has, a, has a great commentary, and um, he describes it as a book of Proverbs as an expression of the redeemed mind reflecting on life in this world. I think that's so helpful. Because when we read Proverbs like, and I've got this in front of me because I'm all, all prepared, um, when we read Proverbs like, a gent- uh, Proverbs 15 verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When we read that, we realise what that means practically. To the redeemed mind, ang- we know that anger is sinful. So we, but we, don't, we don't want that for a fellow human. That's not, that's not what we want to get out of a person, anger. And, and so much of, of, of social media, it seems like that is the purpose of the, char- the, the, the characters, however many characters we use to write. Um, and we do have to start thinking, don't we? Uh, yeah. If we're not already, what is the purpose of my engagement? Is my purpose to stir anger or is it to uh, to uh, 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 to build up? Uh, so what is it now? Um, Proverbs chapter fifteen verse four: A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Is our purpose to crush, mm. or is it to build up? Yeah. And that changes an awful lot, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's really helpful, I think, in just being wise in thinking about what what are we aiming for in this conversation there have been times in the last week where i've seen some of my friends who are you know very rapidly uh, pro transgender and 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 i've just thought you know do i need to say something and i've just and the reason i have i haven't said anything and the reason i haven't is because i haven't been able to think how do i say anything that isn't going to just stir up more anger you know this person is already furious they're not in a position where they're interested in listening. They're not in a position where they're interested in engaging. I can't find a way that, that's going to see that. So maybe it's better to say nothing at that point, no. but actually not to yeah. say nothing forever, but but actually pick your time. I was going to say, well. um, the, the verse that came to me yeah. um, that when I was thinking about this cancel culture is that verse in James, which is everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because... Uh, yeah. I mean, in the racism issue, yeah. people have been saying, oh, we, people need to listen to hear what's been ha- what happens to people. And I think that's really important. But also these um, just hearing about young people and their problems, the transgender thing is about people's problems with their identity, w- wondering who they mm-hmm. are. And um, yeah, the, a, a lot of these issues seem to be stemming from people's lack of self-confidence, lack of yeah lack of knowing who they are and maybe that's you know and that's their lack of understanding that they are uh, made in the image of god isn't it so yeah. there's a lot of issues in our culture yes. which yeah, yeah we've got gospel uh, answers for we certainly do and yeah. some and there may be some opportunities to to develop the kind of relationships mm. and to speak those kind of words of truth into online engagement but also many of those things are going to be much better done in, in sort yeah. of grounded Absolutely. face-to-face interactions, those sort of longer-term issues that people have with themselves. I, I think that's right. I mean, as I, I um, came to the conclusion that I, I don't do much arguing online. I don't really do any arguing online, <laughs> if I'm honest. I'm not, I'm not very often seen making 
points or statements or anything like that on social media, um, partly because I'm just not very good at it. Um, and it takes me forever to write anything. So um, I, have to, I have to take my time. But uh, for many, it's worth knowing, for many people, uh, that is their audience. So for many people, how are they, how are they declaring to the world their position? Um, how, are they, how are they showing the world what they think? And, you know, we could argue they don't have to. It's okay. But people feel like they, they need to. So there we are. So there's, there's Facebook and Twitter and so on. For, for, for me, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure a number of other clergy will uh, agree, or, or those who uh, do have um, access to a pulpit, um, we we have a we have uh, another opportunity to do that. That is, you know, again to use that word nuance. Mm. That is more nuance, which is thought through, which is um, which gives people time to consider. I, I'm I'm spending a week's worth of time considering any given sermon. So it's not just okay, what should I say now? It's how can I say this in a in a way that will um, be faithful to the Bible, will not make the pulpit a uh, a sort of a, a position of 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 uh, what am I trying to say? You know, issue yeah. and it, uh, yeah, where I just put an issue out without it being secured by the um, faithful weekly uh, consecutive expository teaching of the Bible. Um, and so I, I don't, in one sense, I don't need to um, do that because I don't feel that I'm not being heard. Yeah. So that's a privileged position I recognise I have. Um, but it, it, it's a good reminder that we do have that. And, and yeah. we therefore have to be careful about what we therefore say online. Yeah, I think um, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I think even if you're somebody who's not a, a minister and a preacher in that sort of way, there are good questions to be asked about, do I have to say this? And do I have to say this here? And am I just saying this so I can be seen to have said it? which I think yeah. a lot of the outrage culture is, is fueled by. And and actually, it's okay to say, do you know, what? I don't think I have anything to contribute positively here or that is going to build peace or build the church. So actually, I'm just going to stay quiet for a bit. And th- that's okay as well. Good. Well, um, yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, you, you could just cancel all your social media accounts as well. That, that would be another way of doing it. <laughs> I won't be doing that anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> great um, so uh, we have some recommendations uh, I have a couple of things um, I was going to recommend a couple of podcasts uh, if you're listening to this you're probably a podcast listener um, so I want to recommend uh, two things um, James Carey who is a regular guest here on the Church Society podcast and uh, is one of the most <laughs> prolific podcasters I know um, so you may already be a regular listener of Cooper and Carey Have Words and, and various other things that he does but he is doing a podcast this year for the Keswick Convention obviously Keswick Convention is not going ahead in its normal way they're doing a whole lot of stuff online and one of the things that James is doing is interviewing uh, many of their main speakers um, and that is coming out as a podcast there's some already out and I think there are more uh, still to come. So you might enjoy that. And I also wanted to recommend The Plum Line. The Plum Line is uh, two British women, uh, Christians, evangelicals, uh, chewing the fat uh, about all kinds of issues to do with the church and theology. And it's it's really encouraging to me that um, in the last couple of years, there have been a good number of British Christian podcasts coming out. There's a lot of great stuff that comes from America, but 
it is quite culturally specific a lot of the time. And so I wanted to recommend The Plumb Line as something that, that is very British. Um, and then the final thing I have, many of you may have seen over the weekend, Glenn Scrivener's new little uh, spoken word video. Uh, this one is called Numbers. Um, and it is uh, just a really striking uh, look at some of the statistics around abortion in particular. So we'll share links to those. Martin, what have you got for us? Oh, well, I've just got one book. Um, this is a slight cheat, really, because it's not that new. Sorry. But it, um, uh, there we are. Uh, the Prodigal mm. Prophet by Tim Keller, uh, who needs prayer at the moment, doesn't he? But um, I, we've just finished working our way through the book of Jonah as our sermon series. And uh, it's uh, strikingly appropriate for our time uh, because if there's, um, you know, it, it is speaking of somebody who needed to identify his blind spots. It speaks as the God of the nations. It speaks of the, the, the reality of uh, our, uh, our looking at other cultures or races or religions and thinking they are not worthy of hearing the gospel. Um, uh, and if we've ever found ourselves in that or judging people on the color of their skin, it's a great reminder uh, what Jonah the lesson Jonah was taught about not nasal gazing at our sin uh, and wallowing in it, in that, but looking up to our saviour who, who has saved us and brought us up from um, the depths. And all the more we then cry out for the nations to be saved. Um, so there Terrific. we are, the prodigal prophet. I think it's a great, a great Terrific. Book. Yes. Okay. And uh, for those who've not seen the news, Tim Keller, uh, posted a, a couple of weeks ago that he'd recently been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and is uh, undergoing treatment for that. I think they seem to have caught it very early, but nonetheless, uh, hmm. do you be praying uh, for him and for Kathy? Um, yeah, I've just... Uh, a couple of really random things. Um, a friend of mine mentioned to me that uh, she was being really blessed by uh, Ollie Knight, who's a, who's a worship leader who's done uh, Word Alive for a few mm. years, um, uh, from Brighton, I think he is. He has been doing a daily sort of uh, Facebook live with his family uh, with singing with music um, called come sing with me and uh, I haven't been watching that but there's a Spotify list for come sing with me so it's a really nice uh, list with some songs I know and some new ones as well uh, from lockdown so I've, I've really been enjoying listening to that and the other thing I've really been enjoying is uh, I rediscovered a recipe that I uh, had when I lived in Singapore, we've been having some barbecues and uh, it's for lemon rice where you cook your rice and you add sort of various fried spices and uh, nuts. And I just wanted to recommend to bless you with uh, some food. I'm going to blog it on my blog uh, today. So um, hopefully we'll be able to link to that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think I think you might have cooked that for me before. It sounds amazing. Great. Well, thank you so much, everyone, uh, for listening. Uh, we'd love it if you listen to this podcast via uh, an app that allows you to rate the podcast. We'd love it if you would do that. Uh, or if you want to leave a review, if you're on YouTube, you might want to leave a comment. All of those things uh, help move the podcast through the algorithms and get it uh, recommended uh, to more people who might enjoy it. So it'd be a real help to us if you're able to take a moment to review and or rate the podcast i mean we'd love it if you give us five stars but if you think it's only mediocre even a you know two or three star rating all helps uh to show that people have been listening and engaging with it 
going to be back next week with um, something that will be a little bit different from our normal podcast. Uh, next Monday, we are launching Church Society's latest publication. It's a book called Walk This Way. It is reflections on the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. There are also uh, short chapters introducing uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, explaining what church is, and there's a short catechism in that as well. So it's an ideal book for anyone who is uh, relatively new to the faith, be a terrific thing to give someone as they're preparing for confirmation, uh, but also for those of us uh, who are perhaps more mature in our faith to be reminded and refreshed by some of those basics uh, of what it means for Christians uh, to live uh, and to pray and to believe. Uh, so we'll be here next week, hopefully with uh, all of the authors uh, of that book and uh, letting you know more about it and where you can buy it and so on. So that'll be next uh, Tuesday. Good. Right. Thanks so much to both of you and I'll see you again soon. It was a pleasure.